back to the Granite Zero podcast. Now this podcast is brought to you by the book Granite Zero, which can be found on Amazon. It's the book, uh, the story, the biography of uh, the host, Sean Tomo Thompson's life. Um, and it took a lot of emotion, a lot of time, a lot of effort to produce this book. Um, if you want to grab it, check it out on Amazon. Um, it helps support myself, it helps support the podcast, and it helps me spread the message um, that it is good to talk, it's good to get your emotions out there, it's good to do all that needs to be done. Also, this podcast is brought to you by Infusion CBD. Infusion CBD is scientifically proven to help with aches and pains in your muscles, ligaments and joints. Not only that, it helps with everything from mental health issues, depression, anxiety, PTSD, uh, sleeping disorders, eating disorders, etc, etc. The list goes on and on and on. Um, but yeah, I choose personally to use Infusion CBD. I use their, their oil before bed to help me sleep. Uh, I use their muscle rub to help with my uh, ankle and knee problems. And that's what I do. Um, but yeah, on to the episode. Now this episode is a big one for me. Um, not only is the person that I'm chatting to a huge inspiration, a huge part of my life, but it's also episode 100. We've reached the milestone. And not only is it episode 100, it is also two years coming up on the 4th of March uh, since the conception of Granite Zero podcast. Um, and we've gone from strength to strength. So without that, without you guys listening, without the support I have on social media, this would never become what it's become. So thank you very much for that. Um, but back to the podcast, this podcast, episode 100 is with my dad, my father, my hero, my inspiration. And I loved every second of it. I was like a, a schoolboy sitting there with a smile throughout the whole thing. He's never done anything like this before, and it was truly my honour, my privilege to have him on. So, without further ado, episode 100, welcome to the Granite Zero podcast, Tommy, Big Tomo Thompson. Check it out. Don't forget Stanley Matthews. What about Stanley Matthews? Well, I played football with him on a kick around. Oh, did you? But this is what how we get into it, isn't it? Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, hey. I've, I've hit record, Dad. So, welcome to the Granite Zero podcast. Well, nice to be here, son. The the honour is all mine. 
<laughs> I, I've, I've been excited, Dad, because one, this will probably be the longest conversation we've had on a phone or FaceTime ever. Well, that could be true. I'm not very good on phones. No, we know that. But unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, we've got no alcohol involved. So it's not like we're going to be in the pub telling all these stories like we normally do. Well, unlike uh, the common belief, I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we do like, the Thompsons do like a drop of alcohol. I haven't drunk since October. Well, it's like it's quite funny. We we've just had to order a bigger recycle bin at uh, Litchfield Avenue. Is that for my brother, by any chance? Oh, <laughs> and me. <laughs> it's all those Guinnesses, mate. Well, I've changed from glass bottles to cans. Oh yeah. God, well, I can squash the cans down and get more in. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. Right. So. We've got a lot to talk about, really, because you've led, well, a lives, life. lives. But what I yeah, really want to talk about is, yeah, don't tell <laughs> mum. <laughs> I don't even think she listens. She pretends to listen. Um, but what yeah. I've always been intrigued by was obviously you, you're brought up as a as a military brat, as it were. Yeah. Like, because obviously, granddad was in the Air Force, like both of us. What what was that like? Yeah, he did, up? he did 36 years. Um, my early life is uh, living on bases, moving schools. I think I had 13 schools. But I do have a recollection of where this overlapped with football. Yeah. When I was walking down a hill from Aylesbury, uh, the village of Aylesbury in Wiltshire, yeah, which is by Boscombe Down, and Boscombe Down was just up the hill slightly. Uh, you wouldn't do it nowadays, but I would have been six or seven. Yeah, and my job was to walk my younger brother, your uncle Brian, to school. I was seven, he was six. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't do that these days, definitely not. I would not let and, the girls well, go. I don't think we should have done it then because he got run over and broke his leg. <laughs> as you do why not um he's he was up on a bank there was like a bank coming down either side of the road yeah and he came out of the village up the hill and around to the right was where the the marry quarters were and we were he was i was telling him not to do it but he's not going to take any notice of his brother who's only a year older no, definitely and not. he slipped slid down the bank into the road and got hit and i carried on walking home and just walked into it and my mum said, well, where is he? And I said, oh, he's going to hospital. He's been in an accident. <laughs> <laughs> and like, where's my tea? Yeah. Oh, I've got a hospital, <laughs> just shrug it off. Yeah. But the other memories of Boscombe Down and Aylesbury School was that's, when I, that's my first recollections of playing football. And I played left half. Left half. Because that's what it was called in those days. Left half. And... Uh, I had a pair of those old leather boots with the studs you nailed on. You're all going back some years now, aren't you? <laughs> this is about 1958. Bloody hell. 58-59. So, That's my earliest memory of me playing football. Because football's obviously been a big part of, well, mine, Darren, and, and well, your yeah. life. 
Well, that's and what I. That was what I was going to be. Hopefully, I mean, that was back in the old days. I didn't pay you very much as a footballer, but probably more than the average. So, so that that was always the dream. Then was to become the professional footballer. Yeah. Um, did that we sort of get? To... Did that get like rocked a little bit? Because obviously, with Grandad traveling, you having having to go to yeah, different well, countries like Malaysia. Set up, if, you, if you roll on a couple of years, I we lived in Yorkshire. Oh yeah, I didn't know that. Um, RAF Finningley was where my dad was then, and uh, I think he was a flight sergeant then, if I remember rightly. Might have got promoted to one officer around that time, but I think he was flight sergeant. And anyway, uh, he uh, was doing his thing on the Vulcan bombers, the big V bombers. Yeah, yeah. You must have uh, heard of those. As yeah, a, of course, of course. Our XREF regiment. Of course. Anyway, yeah, he worked on those, and I went to. I was the sicko out of the uh, the first the first family, as I call it, the, the older three. The other two. Brian and Jen went to um, the grammar school, oh. and I went to uh, Armthorpe High, so I was a bit of an outcast. The outcast. Um, but I was very good at sport, and I tried out for the. I wouldn't say, but I don't know if it was the, the school first eleven, but I, it was certainly a couple of years or three years above the year I was in. I tried yeah. out for the team. And you can probably picture it where you're there, and I would have been quite a scorny little shit. And um, <laughs> basically, the older boys just said, "Well, if you want to play, then you go in goal." And I went in goal and got picked in the team. And I was like two years younger than everyone else. Yeah. And that rolled on, and it turned out I was quite good at it. And that's the sort of inkling that I had that I was quite a natural sportsman, never bound to, to do to break world records. Yeah, like a jack of play, all trades. Yeah, I could play any sport and uh, like the football, and it just went on from there. And I finished up in the Doncaster and District side. Doncaster Rovers got interested. Um, can't remember who the manager was then. And this was now mid sixties. We're talking about. Yeah. And my dad then got posted to Malta. Just as Doncaster had signed me on on schoolboy terms. So I went out, 67 that would have been, I went out to Malta, started playing for a, a local side there and got all that. I think you've seen some of the paper cut-ins. And I mean, there's Jen, who didn't go to Malta. She stayed yeah. at school. She kept a scrapbook, which unknown to me. Saw that years later and it was full of, and it was it was quite nice to read through it and see all these yeah, I bet. things that I'd forgotten about. So, so how come... You, did you get told to go to Malta? Because obviously Jen was staying at school. Were you told, no, Ed, you're going I, to Malta? I was too young to stay then. I was oh, too right, young got to you. stay. And she was going to uni and or uh, college, whatever. I don't I can't remember yeah. exactly what it was. but And she did have um, the brain power. <laughs> so I didn't have <laughs> <laughs> um, I was good at maths. Well, I know that. But we, we need you but, to I mean, help. The football, then, <laughs> football and sport then sort of took over in Malta because the only thing I was ever interested in at school was the sport. And yeah. uh, I think I represented the school at 
everything I could. Best way to be. Um, and from the football point of view, from locally, I started playing for a local team and became a bit of a, a local hero in some hero. ways. <laughs> because, well, not so much a hero is the wrong word. A um, legend. Well, that's what it is now. It's not, I went back there only a couple of years ago and my picture was still on the wall. Of course it was. Uh, in this bar. And I'm not telling you where it was. <laughs> the old man used to go in there. He, he was only 100 yards from the house. That's how I got playing football. He told someone in there. And they had a look at me. And then that, that's how it went on. So did, did Grandad take a lot of interest in your football? Yes. He used to come to most of my games in Malta. Um, he came up to practice with us once. <laughs> where was that? That's um, the last time he played football, I think. Because he played a little bit of football. Yeah, I was going to say, did Grandad play football? this time. He came up to play with me and uh, Brian and a couple of our mates at uh, Finningley, so Yorkshire. Yeah, yeah. And he got kicked on the shin, and his shit, his leg came up about <laughs> twice the size, and he never kicked the ball again. <laughs> Just stuck, but, uh, stuck to drink go. a beer. Well, yeah, he, li- he liked to drop a beer. Yeah. I mean, I heard a story the other day about my dad. That was quite funny. That he, They were saying that... I think Jen was driving because my yeah. mum, as you know, mum doesn't drive the gram. And uh, <laughs> he told him to pull in. He wanted the toilet, and he, they so they pull in this lay-by, and there's a pub, a hotel-type pub. Yeah, he yeah. goes in there, and they're sat in the car waiting, and it's like twenty minutes. And they <laughs> <laughs> walk in, and he's sat at the bar having a pint. <laughs> <laughs> no, that doesn't sound like you at all, that dad. No, it wasn't me. It was him. I know, but you would have done as you could have done the same thing. No, I would have taken you in. I would have taken you in with me. Now I was saying that to Kate actually the other day. Um, we, we were watching something on telly, and it was about people that can, you you know, they have a presence, and they and they can go into like a bar, and mm. they can tell stories, and people <clears> seem to come around. And I was like, well, Dad is very much like that. So I always always remember going into the pub and like. You would just be in there telling stories and doing whatever, drinking a beer. And it was like, you don't really see that much these days. That sort of drinking culture sort of gone, <coughs> leaving well, with your generation. Yeah, pubs are different now, aren't they? Um, and when we get back to them, it's going to be different again. I mean, I think I think they'll lose a lot of custom. Yeah. Because people will, will sort of sit there and think, you know, I've had a reasonable time. Yeah, I can just sit at home and have a beer. And I mean, like in our case, where we built a bar and we've got our own little pub, so to Thompson speak. Arms. You can you can invite people around, and it's somewhere to sit, and it's like being in the pub. Yeah, it, you, to be fair, the setup that you and Darren have got in the house is, is really nice. Yeah. But we digress. We've still got loads more. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, so where are we? About mid sixties now, aren't we? We are. Um, we. You we say jumped you jumped over the school in a bit, didn't we? Yeah, we well, don't really need, we don't to, need to hear any more of that. But but swimming was I another thing you were good at. Hey, swimming was another thing you were good at, wasn't it? Yeah, or still good at. When, when we were in um, Malaya, this is again as kids, and um, we formed a swimming club. I say we because it was me, Brian, and if my mum was here now, she'd tell me the other names of the boys because she somehow remembers them. Of course she does. Um, <laughs> and there was an Australian corporal, 
of, in the, the W, in the, uh, not W, the RAAF, so Royal Australian Air Force, who was a bit of a swimming coach and what have you. When I look back now and I think about it, thinking about this bloke was in his like early 20s then, I'm guessing, maybe 30. Yeah, yeah. What was he doing with a bunch of school boys? <laughs> <laughs> he was having a great time. But no, <laughs> but he did. He formed the um, the Dolphin Swimming Club. Yeah, he he must take the credit for the vast majority, and it went on for years. I, obviously, not there now because I think the station's closed and everything else. But we had uh, weekly, I think it was, or was it monthly? It might have been monthly uh, swimming galas. Yeah, and we just used to compete at our, the various age groups. Um, and there was three, the three main guys: was me, my brother. And there was the other lad who was the same age as us. And I used to win the backstroke every time. Brian used to win every the breaststroke. Time. And um, this matey boy, I can't think of his name, has won the butterfly. And it'd only be like one or two lengths. can't remember exactly. And it was a free-for-all for the freestyle. because we were, And we were all about the same. And then I went off at age 10 and a half, 11 to... Boarding school for six months. Oh, treat yourself. <laughs> and uh, I didn't do a great deal of swimming when I was there, but they obviously carried on doing their bit. And when I came back, I went in the gala and I won six events. <laughs> <laughs> Just needed much the break. To my, much, much to my brother's uh, annoyance. Yeah, you because you, you're very competitive, aren't you? All oh, the yeah. Thompsons. Yeah. yeah. I, I try and explain that to... Um... Especially me and him. Yeah. Well, I think me and Darren have a, have a similar thing when it comes to sports anyway. Yeah, yeah but I think um, the dynamic with me and Brian is the fact that because we're close together. Yeah, so you're, you're a lot closer than what me, as in age was. Um, yeah, we did a lot together hmm. as kids growing up because we were the same age. All the scrumping used to go around me. I remember the old man. Scrumping? Getting, uh, <laughs> do you know what scrumping is? Isn't that something to do with nicking apples? Yeah, or fruit. And we went to, uh, he got called into the CO, the station commander, and got bollocking because we, we'd been caught scrumping in the CO's garden. <laughs> is this abroad as well? No, this was in, um, this was in Finningley, that was. Oh, nice. Yeah, that was, there's some good stories there, but we, we are digressing slowly, aren't we? We are, that's fine. We can digress as much as you want, Dad. Yeah, but back in Malta, though, when I started playing, um, to St. Peter's, which yeah. was the third division side, uh, out in Birza Bougia, which I think I think I've taken you there. Yeah, we yeah we went to Bougia. That's that's where you used to jump from the balconies, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's where we used to get a lot of trouble. <laughs> Doesn't sound like you don't get in trouble. What are you talking about? Um, more so you, you your uncle, but <laughs> yeah, we won't we won't stitch him up. <laughs> But I, I played and uh, I played for Malta from that, but at Malta Schoolboys. So yeah. two years running, six, 67, 68, I played in France and Spain. Oh, nice. Against, uh, against the UK, Spain, France, Italy. And it was on one of those trips coming back, we pulled into Rome Airport and we were on a coach and there was a lot of excitement going on. And... Uh, all the guys were going, come on, you've got to get his autograph, you've got to get his autograph. And I was like, well, whose? 
and they said it's uh, Matt Busby. Oh, really? And Matt Busby was on the coach. So, I, and Matt Busby had a, an affiliation with Hibernians, Malta, and playing him. He used to go to Malta a lot, holiday there, and a lot of his players, even now, I think. Even now, Manchester United, yeah. United yeah. as a whole, um, I think. So, I've never been one to be starstruck in the uh, autograph hunting and things like that, but yeah. I went and sat next to him, and we got we just finished up talking because he said, "You're English, you're not Maltese." And then he said, uh, "Wait, me?" He said, "You're the goalkeeper," and I was I was a bit like, "What?" He knows who I am, and this is the sort of person. I'm not, that's not me bragging about me, but it was the fact that he'd been told about me. Yeah. Because at this stage, I'd got I was playing for Hibernians in Malta. And they'd obviously told Man United, we've got a young English prospect here that's playing, blah, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Because that, that's how they do it. It doesn't mean to say that they were ever going to sign me or anything. I'm not saying yeah. that. Whether I'd ever been good enough is another thing. But what impressed me was the fact that this guy knew. Yeah. Well, he, and, uh, he took a lot from grassroots football, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, was, I mean, that was that's one of the older generation football. The other one was Stanley Matthews. When Stanley Matthews, about 1967, just finished, um, he might not even have quite finished playing because he played till he was like 49 years old. He played in the league. Yeah, that's mental. In England. <laughs> and But he bought a house in Malta. He bought a villa. Yeah. And he eventually moved to there. He was at the game when we played AC Milan, but that's another story a bit later on. <laughs> um, we're, we're, there's a bunch of us kicking a ball around, and, he, and you know in Malta, there's, there's no, it's not, there is quite a few grass pitches nowadays, but there never used to be. It was all rubble. And yeah, even when we first started ball. going out, it was not much yeah. grass. And we were kicking a ball about, and I mean, this old boy comes trundering across the field. And uh, you couldn't tell if he was English, Maltese, or anything else, I mean, to start off with. It, quite an old, well, to us, he looked really old and leathery skin and, and what yeah. have you, you know. <laughs> and uh, he said, can I, can I have a kick around with you boys? And his English was good, so we thought, well, he must be English, you know. And we went, yeah, no way, I've got a problem with that. And then all of a sudden, this bloke's a magician, isn't he? He's giving it all this stuff, <laughs> keeping up, he's catching the ball, and, and it's Sandy Matthews. Absolute wizard. And he had a, he, yeah, and uh, we were like, t- no one believed us when we told him. But he did, he lived out that is one of the. And, that's one of those stories, though, as a kid, isn't it, where you go, oh, I played football with Stanley Matthews. Yeah, of course you did, mate. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> he didn't know who I was. Though. <laughs> oh no, it's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, that, but that takes you on to the the fact that I'd gone as, a, as a then sixteen years old, transferred under the counter. So there was some money. There was some money exchanged hands between St Peter's and um, Hibernians, but they, I was an amateur, so they couldn't do it like yeah and announce it. But there was money involved. I started getting boot money. Oh. And it was in every week there was, I can't remember how much it was. We'll say it was 20 quid, which would have been a, and that would have been a huge amount of money. It probably was only, it was probably a tenner. Yeah. In fact, but back then, it was probably Maltese. It was probably Maltese Lima because uh, thinking about it, they didn't, they didn't use English currency then, I don't think. Yeah. Can't remember. Certainly wasn't Euros. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> And uh, anyway, so yes, so I, got, I had this money. It made me like the richest kid on the block from the point of view of school. And all of a sudden, I became very popular. Yeah, um, we used to go to we used to go to a nightclub 
which was the school disco thing in in the it's i try to find it in valletta I can't, i've never been able to find it i found the building and it's it's underneath because it was it was called the keller the cellar and um like there was a couple of bars outside and um we still go in there and have a few and years later i'm talking to my mum yeah and she just she let the cat out of the bag my dad never mentioned it but she said well don't you realize that we knew you were getting paid and I thought all these years, I thought I got away with it, and they never <laughs> can't hide anything from your parents. Well, that's yeah, that's true. And the same thing I know, so I know most things about you. you see, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Hibernians was good. I played. Um, let's see, when would I when I started the season? Because Mitzi, who was the uh, Maltese international keeper, he was injured. Yeah, at the start of that season, and I got in. And then I stayed in up until Christmas 67, 68, 67, 68, somewhere yeah, around yeah. about there. Um, I think it was December 68. Mm. And we come to play AC Milan in a friendly. And this is AC Milan minus about four Italian internationals who were playing for Italy. In some other competition, um, they announced the team, and bearing in mind in those days, no subs in, in the way we did so. I'm not playing. Mitzi's fit again, and they, they're putting him, but he had been fit for two months. Yeah. But they deemed me to be better than him, but this was such a big game. Anyway, he got injured, and I went on at half time. <laughs> <laughs> so I played, that's my biggest game ever, AC Milan. Well, you can't really get much bigger than AC Milan. No. And I only let one goal in, which was a penalty. So I was quite chuffed with that. What was the score? 2 0. Oh, 2 0. I was expecting, like, oh, he, that Mitzi let in about eight goals. <laughs> oh, no, no. And that was it. At the end of that season, I was uh, flying back to UK. Was that was that because you wanted to fly back, or was that because um, Grandad got reposted? No, no. He, they stayed out there. I came back to England on my own. Went to Doncaster. And um, George Rayner, the uh, manager of Sweden in 1958 World Cup, was so the manager. <laughs> was no, but he was manager of um, Doncaster Rovers, and I had a letter from him saying that he was you know, he'd been interested and he, followed, he kept following what I'd been doing and all the rest of it. And I'm thinking, well, you, you must somebody must have told you this because you didn't follow me. <laughs> you, didn't, <laughs> you didn't follow me in Malta. I'm not having that. <laughs> I never saw you once. Yeah. <laughs> And um, I got just got back, basically just got my feet on the ground, and uh, he got sacked or he retired. I can't remember which it was now. Yeah. And they appointed Laurie McMenemy, a bloody guardsman who never kicked a football in his life. And I knew more about football then than he does even now at the end of his career. Yeah. But there you go. He and I, as you can probably guess by that, didn't hit it didn't off. See to eye to eye, no? Yeah. Frank Marshall, who was the trainer there. He, uh, we played Sheffield Wednesday in the second leg of a youth cup. I hadn't played in the first leg and they got beat 26 0. Fuck. It was me in the centre half. <laughs> yeah. Me in the centre half, and there was one other lad that came in for the second leg. And we were like three of the regulars that had been playing in this youth side. Um, bear in mind, in those days, you had the first team, reserves, and the youth team. Yeah. That, that was the setup. And, uh, 
we we got beat uh, two one. I don't, I had had a good game, and you don't you don't need someone to tell you. Yeah, it's something you um, know most of the time if yeah. you've got a good And we played at um, Wednesday's ground. What was it, bloody uh, Hillsborough? Yeah, play Hillsborough. And I can understand and see how the guys feel at the moment that are playing professionally because there was you got no one in the stands. Yeah, huge, huge ground, and it's and big it's empty, empty stadium. Yeah, it's it's you're better off playing on a field down down in the park because you yeah, don't or, get or, that. The, or on the training pitch like the youth team yeah. do. Yeah, so uh, yeah, old Frank said he, he said, "Well, young Eddie, as they called me then, if he doesn't sign you now, he never will." Following yeah. week, I joined the Air Force. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to actually ask you about the Air Force, seeing as we're moving no, on it to wasn't that. Quite subject. Like that. I, I was out there and uh, I'd been staying with some friends of uh, my mum and dad's from the Air Force. Yeah. And uh, the old man was sending, was giving them money for me, for my keeper. Yeah. Because I wasn't earning any money and I knew he wasn't particularly well off in that sense. I mean, why would he be? Um, mm. So I, I had to get a job. I had to get signed on and get a contract or get a job. Yeah. And so I became an assistant manager at Woolworths. Oh, <laughs> there's something I never knew. <laughs> and I carried on playing. Yeah. And then we reached that bit I just said about playing at Sheffield Wednesday yeah. and what have you. And in the end, we... Uh, we had a game against Scunthorpe in the FA Cup, and I hadn't been playing. He, he just wasn't. He, he he knew what my abilities were, and he was trying out other goalkeepers and, and different players. And this yeah. is what happens in youth teams. It's 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 it wasn't anything against me. Yeah. But unless you stand out, you know, he's got a his whole thing is to build up his first team, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Uh, anyway, he came up to me and he said, uh, "This is McMenamy," and he said. I hear that you uh, said you, you're not playing in the uh, the game against Scunthorpe. I said, no, I'm not. And he, he was like, I said, because I won't be here. And he said, why not? I said, I joined the Air Force. And I'd done all this. I'm a quiet. I hadn't, I hadn't told anybody. I'd just done it myself. Yeah, I'd yeah. gone in, taken the aptitude test and uh, flew through that on the PTI side. Um, but I still had to go down to St. Athens to be vetted yeah. for PTI. Um, which I did do, and I passed, and then then this match came up. Yeah, yeah. And by which time I've got my dates to go in, because they don't take you in until you've done done that. Side yeah, yeah, of, of course, it. yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm I was actually at Swinderby. Yeah, Swinderby. Stood there in my number buddy two uniform and whatever. And I get I get told I've got to go and see the station commander, who was a wing commander. And I go in there and you stand in there, giving it all that, this sticks <laughs> in. And um, I've done it a few times since, actually, but for, this was, this was a good <laughs> for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he just asked me, he said, why, why have you refused to play for Doncaster Rovers? And I said, I hadn't refused. I just said I was in the Air Force, so I couldn't play. There's a difference. Yeah. And he said, well, I've talked it over. He said, and uh, I think, It'd be good for the Air Force if you went. And this is when I found out what it's like about being in the Air Force. Oh, yeah. Made get... no difference. What I wanted to do, nah. I was playing in that game. Yeah. The no. only thing they couldn't do was make me play well. Um, yeah. But I was not, not going to throw a game. 
Um, we went there and we got we got beat two one, I think. Can't remember. I think it was two one or two each, and then we had a and then there was a replay. That's right. We drew, and there was a replay, which I never played it. Ah, I got you. And uh, Kevin Keegan played. Oh, there you go. But I didn't know he was famous. He wasn't famous then. But he got posted. He got that he uh, transferred to Liverpool. Not that long after. Oh, got you. Yeah, yeah. That's where he came from. Scunthorpe. Well, there you go. Some more claim to fame there. So, was it always going to be the Air Force for you, because of what you saw with your dad? Or did you look at everything else? Or was it because, um, or was it because the Air Force had the PTI? The slot? reason, the reason I picked the Air Force was that in the Air Force, you join and you're a tradesman. Yeah, and you're a tradesman first. If you join the Army or the Navy, you're a sailor first, or a pongo first. <laughs> pongo. Good. <laughs> yeah, I get you. You can. Yeah. A bit like you were in the RAF regiment. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no, but infantry soldiers, and I've got all, utmost respect for all of them. And I've probably seen more of lots of different ones. Yeah, of course you have. Across the board. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, um, I need you to digress. It'd have been even worse if I'd have been on the piss. Ah, <laughs> <that's fine. clears throat> um, yeah, so I was going to be uh, a PTI first and foremost. Yeah, um, so that's what you wanted. That was your trade that you wanted. There yeah, wasn't it was you weren't sport. you weren't going to be a, a mechanic or anything like that. It was sports orientated, you know. When I did my course, forty nine course, in nineteen seventy. Yeah, I'm trying to think when it was. Um, because we had a delay. I'm just trying to think back now. Christ, I might. It's a long time since I thought about this. <laughs> I had to do a parachute course, four jumps, where you just do what the army do. Yeah. And then there was no vacancies. They, a, a course got cancelled. Um. So I got sent to Swinderby. Yeah. As an auxiliary. Ah, got so you. You learn. You're learning the job, <clears throat> but you're not. Because. As as a PTI, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, you can you can specialize, can't you? Like you obviously you specialized as a PJI. You can specialize. Nowadays another... you can. Yeah. Nowadays you can. I mean, you you took um, the Q ratings for mountaineering outdoor activities. Yeah. That's what you had, and you you also had uh, rehab. Yeah. And parachuting. You get paid more for parachuting, don't you? You get parachute pay, yeah. <laughs> um, how it is these days I don't know but I imagine it's much the same but <clears throat> there's now a Q annotation for being a PTI as oh, an cool. expert as a PTI as against so that becomes a specialist thing as well yeah so they put them all into groups basically um, but I, I didn't do parachute and when, and when you sign on the dotted lines to do the parachute you've got you can't turn around five or six years later when they post you to Abingdon, as it was then, to do your instructor's course. You can't turn around and say, well, I don't want to do this. We said, well, but you signed to say you would parachute. Oh, so you, ha- it was, you will be going yeah. there. That well, it. it was their way of getting people to do it because not, not most right-minded people don't particularly want to jump out of airplanes until they've well, done it. 
no that you do get that a lot like all the most of the lads that i served with were like why would you want to jump out of a perfectly serviceable airplane yeah it's like because it looks well, cool that's why <laughs> yeah um well it, i never got sent back and that's probably down to the fact that um the ankles which mm. is well documented medically wise that i mean i once i got in the RAF athletics team and then subsequently combined services and i was good and i'm not i don't say that as a but i was good but i could i got to the point where i could only do one or maybe two jumps out of six because the ankles were playing up so much so they sent me to see a specialist yeah and the specialist downgraded me and said I would never be a PTI I'd have to have a desk job and I persuaded this bloke to let me go back to Swindonby and do six months where I would do everything except play football and athletics yeah which was my main two sports <laughs> and yeah. uh, I eventually got them persuaded them and I said well can I play football and the bloke went you must be bloody mad I said, well, I'm a goalkeeper, so I don't need to kick the ball. You couldn't say that these days because... Yeah, because that, that is... A... Now it's all... <laughs> yeah. You know, you're as much a player as anyone else. Um, but I did the six months and I went back and went and saw the specialist. And he said... It was on my 21st birthday when he told me I'd have to pack it in as a PTI. Um, so that's 1971. And... I went back, as I said, after six months of... I did everything. I told him that. Apart yeah. from triple jump, I didn't do any do didn't do any triple jump. And uh, without even X-raying my ankles again, he upgraded me. I've been looking. Believe it. He, yeah. So that and, was was that all before um, your actual parachute jumps as well. You, before, that, yeah, I'd done I'd done the so basic course. Is that a um? Is that a family trait? What because the ankle problem? Because, no idea. Um, because, uh, because I got downgraded after my um, Lance Corporal course because I kept rolling my ankles. And I went for rehab and they said, you've literally got no ligament in your ankles. How many parachute jumps have you done? I was like, I haven't done any. So that could well be <laughs> yeah. a hereditary well, trait. <laughs> could be. Weak ankles. I roll my ankles easily. I do roll yes, my ankles. I, I'm, Kate finds it hilarious how many times I roll my ankle. Just walking down the road. I just spring back up. And yeah. It spring back up. Yeah. Okay. Spring back up and carry on. Yeah. So I put um, mine down to for the amount of times I did it playing basketball, but so I might have just had weak ankles because of because of you. You've given me weak. Yeah. Ankles. Well, I had to get something from you, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, but I, I didn't know about my weak ankles until I used to play on the wing. <laughs> yeah. Every time I played in goal, I was fine, and when I started playing out to have a bit of fun. Yeah, I broke my ankles, so it's hereditary. It's got to be. It's got to be. But but they still managed to upgrade you and then throw you out of an aeroplane. Well, funny enough, I volunteered. We, I was with your mum by then. Yeah. Um. Not we weren't married though. Um. I think we got married on the 17th of January, 1981. There you go. There you go. Some trivia for you. 
Yeah, I only looked at it the other day. That's why I know that. <laughs> I don't know why I was looking at it. Yeah. But anyway, I volunteered to go back. And I didn't think they'd accept me, but they did. But by that time, I was already a sergeant. Because we'd spent, I'd spent three years in Germany. Yeah. Being this wonderful ski instructor. You see, whatever I turned my hand to, I was just brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it, but again, it wasn't, I was any sort of whiz kid on the ski slopes. Yeah. I was a good teacher and could do the basics very well. And so I'd only been skiing for a week when I took a course and um, I passed it. Rolled on 18 months and I was the only PTI left in Germany who had that qualification. So I got the uh, RAF German ski scheme that was mine to look after. And we used to go and spend four months of the year down in uh, Bavaria. Well, you know the rest. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Getting on it. <laughs> Getting on it more ways than one. <laughs> uh, uh, but there you go. Um, yeah. I went back. I took you out there, didn't I? Yeah. We went out in... Years later. Years later. That was, that was after... That was after doing lots of other things. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, carry on. I seem to be doing all the talking. No, no, that's fine. I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> I'm, I'm living history right here. Yeah. No, well, because obviously the Air Force is a huge part of us, and uh, we speak about me and Darren have spoke about it quite a number of times about about your parachuting, and let's be fair, not blowing smoke up your ass. You're pretty spectacular at it. <laughs> so. Is it just another another thing that you just picked up easily? You seem to just pick it up and be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, to give you an example, when we first started, um, there were some really good guys in the RAF Falcons and what have you. And bear in mind, when I went back to the parachute school, when I went first went to the parachute, I was already a sergeant. Yeah. So it, was, it was, and it was not normal. To go, you go as a corporal, and at the end, if you pass the course, you got your third tape. Yeah. Well, I already had that, so my incentive was not the extra tape. It was to do something different, a new challenge. And at the time, I was still playing football for the Air Force and the combined services. Um, because I mean, I was a professional sportsman in effect. If you think about it. Yeah. I, yeah. I was very lucky in that I was good enough to represent the Air Force and combined services at two sports. Yeah. And I don't think there's many that have done that. I'm sure there are others. There probably are now, but yeah, probably um, then, not so much. I mean, it was quite funny after the, the ankle problems and all the rest of it, and I said I wouldn't do the triple jump. But I did come out of retirement, was in Germany, and uh, I went back to the UK for the 1975 RAF Championship. And won the triple jump. Got the gold, <laughs> got the cup. Of course he did. Uh, and so Rascal. I've actually got the uh, accolade of winning that cup. And on that cup, it's only about so big, solid silver. Yeah. Um, there's all the engravings. It goes back into the 40s. And I think it was 1952. I was reading it. Corporal E. Darlow. And Flight Sergeant E. Darlow was my flight sergeant in Germany at the time. And me and him used to lock, uh, lock horns all the time. 
and it was basically, and the boss used to say, he said, it's because you're exactly the same as each other. And yeah. when I went back with this cup, and I said, I'd, I'd seen it. And I said, and he never mentioned it. He never told me that he was a triple jumper. Oh, I got you. Oh, he won the same cup as me all those years later. And there you go. And it's like... You're mental. <laughs> yeah. That same bloke, he was French. Yeah. Partly French. And his, certainly his, his wife was French. And she was very French in everything she did. And they had two daughters. There was me and a bloke called uh, Rafferty, Mike Rafferty. Shouldn't say too much, depending on who's hearing. <laughs> uh, I was with my first wife then. Yeah. Dagmar. Dagmar. And he was with his missus. I think he, I think they're still together. And uh, we were corporals together at RAF Ryan Darlin. Anyway, Eric invites us round for a meal. So we all go round and his two daughters are there on holiday, or have been on holiday. And me and me and Mike had been offering to play partner him up to play badminton and take difference anyway. But <laughs> of course you did, you rascal. We get we get there and in those days they used to do the old the everyone hated it. Let's get the bloody uh, the family snaps out. Show you our holiday. Yeah, yeah. And we we're like we've gone there for a, a bit of a piss up, you know. And uh, anyway, he comes out and old Eric's there. And he had a, he had a very slight accent still. His missus still had a very Frenchy accent. Yeah. And although she was in her 50s, she was a good-looking lady, should we say. And the two girls were like 19 and 21 or something. And they're flicking through pictures. And they've, take, they've been on rivers and different places. And the girls are sunbathing topless. Very and me and, me and Mike had sat like this. In, in the <laughs> and then all of a sudden... He flicks one on and he's he's forgotten to take this one out, hasn't he? And it's it's his one of his misses who's topless. Oy, oy. <laughs> That's exactly what Mike did. <laughs> Love it. And the two after wives went, time we left. Thank you very much, Eric. It's been a lovely evening. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Brilliant. That story's far funnier when I've had a few beers. I'm sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's still a yeah. good story. <laughs> but, yeah. So, so going back to the, the jumping out of planes, which is crazy to, to most people. Um, jumping out of planes. Yeah. It, it's, it's a foreign concept to a lot of people. Um, well, to most people, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I... When we did it, you, you do a series of um, tests and challenges. Yeah. So the first time you go out, you just there's no test. You just it's getting you out the door, and hopefully you're going to fall stable. You've been given all the instructions of how to rectify any minor problems and all the rest of it, and you have a guy that follows you, which is what my job became to follow people. But that, but you went out on your own. No one was holding you. Nowadays, you, very few people go out without assistance. Hmm. somebody holding them or they're, they're clipped to them or whatever in those days which is not that long ago you went out on your own and the bloke followed you sometimes they went out in front of you well i just went out and i got down and i pulled and i landed and i was like well what was that all about that yeah because i just fallen straight down and i got quite bored after a while because <laughs> nothing happened yeah but you then go on and you learn how to turn and it's all about deflecting air and doing all this. And eventually 
you get to a point where you actually, if I want to be over there, you just do something and, you, and you're there. Someone said, well, what did you do? You've got to, it, which is what you have to remember when you're instructing it. Mm. It's not just do it. You've got to be able to explain how to, it's like anything else. You, you've got to be yeah. able to put over the picture. And anyway, one of the things you had to do was you had to prove that you could, be, you could put yourself stable from an unstable position. So on about the 10th jump, 12th, whatever it was, you would go out and you would deliberately mess the exit up and say you were tumbling. Yeah, yeah. I scared the shit out of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'd done about 15 jumps, never been unstable. Yeah. And I tumbled for about 3,000 feet. Shit. <laughs> and uh, eventually, the <laughs> X. Yeah. Bump, uh, back to normal then, and back to normal, easy. Yeah, <laughs> but it, you know, but it's good. I mean, you go on, and people say, "Well, it's dangerous." Yeah, but of course, it's dangerous. I've always said it's dangerous. Everything's you don't dangerous. follow the rules. Yeah, follow the rules, and you'll be okay. Yeah. Um, equipment malfunctions are very few and far between. Human malfunctions it's are usually the root. Are usually yeah. the root. It's when of you the start problem. panicking, isn't it? Yeah. If you panic, then you're you're fucked. You ain't got time to panic. Well, yeah. Um, I had seven out of all the jumps that I did. I had seven malfunctions, all on free fall parachutes. Yeah. Um, I could do the drills in my sleep now. They they may have changed slightly, but I can remember. I can even remember the first set of drills before we changed to the single point release. Because um, it used to be both of them. You used to clip down two buckles, put your thumbs in, pull, cover, get hold of the reserve, bang. Yeah, look at that. Repetition, Whereas, that is. Yeah, the, the new one is, you're there, you've looked there, yeah. counted, <laughs> malfunction, look down, locate both, cut away pouch, reserve handle, bang, bang. He's done it. Do that. And all right, you might get a hard landing, but you'll be all right. I did it in a, I can't say where it was, but it was in a, that big mass that's called Africa, somewhere yeah. in there, a little bit to the uh, west coast, I think. Yeah. All right, yeah. And um, I'm, I'm following this guy who had very big white eyes and some very large teeth. <laughs> <laughs> No, it just looked like that because of the way when he was out free fall. Yeah. And, uh, but that was eventually the first jump. He went off the ramp and pulled at, uh, I think it was like 15,000 feet or something. Yeah. Um, and he pulled a reserve. And the thing was, these were soldiers from the the local, there weren't tribesmen, we hadn't just picked them out. Of the <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll do. <laughs> <laughs> These were military soldiers yeah. who were trained, had been trained by the French. And the thing with the French, back then, the French had a cross pull. So their main handle was on this side, whereas our main handle is on this side. Or, I mean, nowadays it's all throwaways and different things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I said to my boss, I said, I'll tell you what, I said, some, one of these guys is going to pull up our reserve. Or his reserve. He said, well, that won't be a problem. But I said, it will be if the height finder goes off. Because he's now got two shoots. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, 
he was fortunate that when it, the height final did go off, he did land about five miles away, mine. Up, 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 up <laughs> fucking miles. He better start tapping. Yeah. <laughs> and that was funny. But that's, I'm getting out of sync here. Right? Yeah. And anyway, I said, I, I'm not stay, I'm not pulling with him because I'll be, there's nothing I can do. He's under the canopy. He can't do anything until he lands, can he? Yeah, yeah. So I went down to 3,000 feet and pulled, and well, I had a malfunction. And it's like, <laughs> don't believe this. <laughs> and anyway, I came in and uh, put, uh, cut it away. And you've got a little bit of the old round parachutes. Again, that is probably square on square now, so you've got a bit more maneuverability. But all you could do with a round par reserve parachute was basically turn it. So you could just turn it and face into wind for a, a slightly softer landing. Well, I'm over trees. And I certainly ain't making back to the airfield. So I'm looking there and I can just see it. And I'm, I set myself up and I'm, you're thinking, maybe hey, going to get a branch up the arse here or something. <laughs> and I come all the way down and I land. And within seconds, I was completely surrounded. And they stood about four yards back and they're about four, four deep. All these little black faces. <laughs> and they were, all, they were all local people, nothing to do with the military now, they, that lived locally. From a local tribe or whatever. Yeah, obviously and, uh, you come in. It, it all parted, and this little bloke came through, and he probably, probably, it's hard to say, but he was probably between 50 and 65, somewhere in that region, short. And uh, he just looked at me, put his pointed at me like that, and he went, you were dead, but now you are alive. And I was like, <laughs> I was like shaking anyway, because you just had this... Yeah. I say near-death experience. It's not quite like that, but yeah, you know, the adrenaline will be pumping. Yeah. Bit. Um, within minutes, there's two more arrived. Come running in, panting. They've they found my main and they've wrapped it up and brought it to me. That was nice of them. <laughs> <laughs> now this, the guy that pulled his reserve, yeah, landed up a tree, and uh, we get there, and again, there's a there's a group of uh, tribes, people, and, and what have you. And they, they all lived in, in in the bush, basically, but in their huts and, and what have you. Yeah. Because we were out, we are out in the middle of nowhere, really. It's, we're not, like, in a big town or anything. And uh, this guy, he's got a um, machete yeah. on the end of a bloody great bamboo pole that's, like, 15 foot long or something. You know, it looks like a pole vault. <laughs> Yeah, trying to cut with, him down. With a machete. And he's he's trying to um, cut leaves and things so this parachute would come down because there's a parachute up. <laughs> and I'm saying to the bloke, tell him it doesn't matter. And he, anyway, he cuts through a couple of rigging lines and then the bloke went and whacks him on the head, tells him off, which is damaging <laughs> our property. And we're going, no, we you can have it. We won't, we're not going to use have it. it again. Build a hammock. Well, yeah, whatever, because... Or a shelter. Once you've used a, a reserve, it gets bent anyway. Yeah. Well, you ever use it in sports parachutes, it's a bit different. You just check it out like you check any other parachute out, and then everything's okay, you, you can reuse it. Yeah. Military-wise, if a reserve parachute's been used... Just get rid of it. It's, it's a, bit, a bit like a bloody uh, life check, isn't it? Yeah. If you've used it for real, you ain't going to use it again, are you? Nah, exactly. But, hey, that's... Mental. I can't remember where that was. I know. So we just say it was French speaking. French, <laughs> a French speaking African area. 
Yeah, but uh, we trained. We had to train these guys, and I said it was a disaster. We had uh, six malfunctions from them, which was that's a high, a lot of malfunctions. Yeah, but they were. It wasn't malfunctions of our kit. Was it? it was, was it the language? Obviously no, it's because they they they've been trained by yeah. the French. Now I'm not saying the French are no good at it. But like, if you take soldiers, not not professional parachutists, you're talking about soldiers who just do a course. Yeah. But they don't jump very often. They know enough to get down and land safely and all the rest of it. But then if you give them a completely different parachute with a completely different operating procedure, yeah, they're going to revert to what they were taught in the beginning. Yeah, you, you revert to original training. Yeah. Especially if you're in a panic situation, you know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Especially if you're in a panic situation, that's where you, you drill and drill and drill and drill. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I hope that answers your question. Yeah, <laughs> no, I love the, I love those stories, and um, I always like the, the the story of um when you you, you would uh, you'd be the cameraman. So they'd pile oh, yeah, the yeah. so they'd pile all the kit on you and all that sort of stuff. I used to find that. Well, when we first, it was me. It wasn't me that started it all off, but, but, but I did. I got into it and started doing it. Pete Reynolds, an old friend of mine, who did he did used to do Wally Gubbins, the uh, the cartoon type hmm. um, videos that he, he made them. And me and Pete went back to the RAF gymnastic team. That was a long time ago. That was about that was nineteen seventy one, I think. Um, and Pete never grew up. <laughs> but he was good at camera work. Yeah. And I started jumping it. And I think the first time I jumped, it was like picking up an old VCR from underneath the telly. Yeah, I was going to say, because obviously now nowadays they've got like the GoPros, don't they, that they can just attach to the helmet. Yeah, little small. things. I mean, what I wore, I remember having an argument with a BBC cameraman and crew person and all the rest of it when we were doing Blue Peter. And uh, we're going to go jump at 20,000 feet with Janet Ellis been going out with two of our guys and then me and a bloke called Bob Suter were going to film. And uh, I back off and get the exit coming towards us and he comes to the side and then they then chop and change bits of each film Yeah, into this. Uh, and we must have had 15 takes on back of the mock-up Herc at, at uh, Bry's and this cameraman, no, oh, sorry, this director kept going, cat, cat. And in the end, I said, I've had enough. Because I'm wearing the full kit. It's not light. <laughs> no, and I'm walking about there. And uh, in the end, he turned around. He said, we've got to get it right. I said, well, listen. I said, when we go out tomorrow, I said, and we get to about 15,000 feet. And he's looking at me. I said, if it's not going right, if I go cut, can you wind this all back so we can go back in the airplane and do it again? <laughs> and he looked at me and said, well, no, no. I said, well, we only get one chance. I said, you've had 15. I said, and that's where I'm going. And my boss was going, come on, Tommy, Tommy, no, there's no need for that. I said, no, I've had enough. Bloody sweat was pouring out of me. And when you look at the actual video of the whole thing, yeah, the quality of video is just as good when we're free-falling with these bloody great cameras and everything else on us. So this bloke prattling about on a mock-up, but anyway... <laughs> yeah. that's got to be a pain though but you sort of um, t 
touched on something there that I was very similar to yourself, I think, where if I didn't like something or didn't think something was right, then I would say it. And I think that sort of thing <laughs> is sometimes... I've handed that down to you as well, have I? Oh, yeah, you've passed that down to me. I get all the good bits, good ankles and a, and a, a sharp tongue, shall we say. Uh, but I just realised it says Edwin Thompson underneath me. It does, that's your name. Well, I've got to realise that I'd have put Tom out. <laughs> but the, the taking no shit thing, did, that, did you find that that sort of sort of put a stop on certain parts of uh, progression within your career or do you think it helped you go up? <laughs> That's a trick question. <laughs> Not a trick question. Uh, I have been told yeah. if I'd have stayed in, I'd have made a very good one-off, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Is that fair enough? Does that answer your question? Yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. <laughs> but one thing we, we should touch on then, seeing it seeing as we're around parachuting still, obviously you spent quite a bit of time in Hereford. Yeah. Helping out with uh, training, shall we say, with the elite of the elite. Mm-hmm. Is there much you're allowed to dis disclose on that matter, parachuting-wise, shall we say? Well, it's, it's a bit about what I've just said with the French, with them changing from one piece of equipment to another. You've, yeah. you've got these guys, in, and they're all very, very good soldiers. Yeah. I mean, you'll get the, the odd bad eggs, but you get that in every walk of life. But generally speaking... They are excellent soldiers, and hence that's why they're there. But they are there because they've got special, certain special skills. And I'm not talking about being able to go and throttle people and doing all that. They've got yeah. the, the special skills of being able to stay on, on target for a long time in lots of discomfort, um, <clears throat> to keep going when everything seems to be lost. It's those, those are the attributes that make a good soldier, an elite soldier. Yeah. Um, you get some very good soldiers who've got all the fighting skills and everything else, but they haven't got that bit of backbone. And I'm, I'm, that's not a, I'm not knocking anybody for that. Yeah. It's like I've always said, when someone said to me one day, well, why didn't you ever go in for it? And I said, because I don't particularly want to sit in a hole and shit in a plastic bag for a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that's, that's what it's about. Mm. I... I, th I thought my attributes were better off, better served by, and serving the people better by imparting knowledge to make them better so they can do a better job. Yeah. That's how I looked at it. Um, I've got off track here. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, um, I was asking like, because obviously you, you, were, you were in Hereford as the PJI. Um, I was like wondering what sort of knowledge and, and skills <coughs> you brought to make them better. Better. Yeah. Well, if, when you're talking about from a training environment, these guys, have, they've got, and it's like, it's a bit like if I talk about a conversation I had with an American major. Yeah. 
who turned over a pint. Uh, I didn't particularly like this major, but uh, and that was obvious. I kept getting kicked off my boss under the table, not to rub him up too much the wrong way. <laughs> he was typical American, which is a bit unfair on a lot of Americans who are okay people. A lot, there's a lot of good soldiers. Yeah. Um, I I personally think that the American services lack leadership from above. Whereas, believe it or not, I think we, generally speaking, because of the way we bring our young captains and lieutenants through the system, being shadowed by more experienced NCOs, <clears throat> we get better officers in the long run. Uh, it's not always been that case, but I think that's what happens now. Um, for example, if I was going to America for three weeks parachuting, I would go up to the uh, commander or the troop leader, whoever it was, and say, right, Fred, what's your objective for day 21? And he would say, I want all my guys to be at this standard, be able to do this, this, and this, and I would like to have achieved 50 jumps each. So I would say, okay, I would then go away, and my job then, along with the other guys in the section, uh, at the time, it was like Steve Tansley was one of the was the sergeant there. Yeah. Uh, and Steve, big Steve, can't think of his surname in a moment. We'll come back to me in a minute. Vast knowledge on sport para, lots and lots of sport para jumps. So he brought a different angle in. But we would then sit together and work out a program. And then we'd go to the guy and say, right, Fred, there you go. These guys who are out and out beginners just on the parachute course, nothing else. They'll start off on three jumps a day and we'll build up to six jumps a day by that day. And we will do this progression. Do, 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 do. Um, and that's, and that was, that was our job rather than them having to sit down and work out that training program. So if they were then going on to some other skill while they were there, yeah, then whoever was teaching that skill would work out that training program. Makes sense. Yeah. It might be that if it was to do with shooting, it might be, uh, it wouldn't necessarily just be uh, an armor or something. It would be one of their own guys who was an expert in close quarter battle. Mm. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's the sort of thing. I mean, I learned how to, to, to run a range. I got the old, me get me a ticket to run a range, but he go out and do the close quarter battle. I mean, I, I don't know if I ever told you, I nearly got shot. It's the closest I came to a bullet, as far <laughs> as I know, the closest I came to a bullet. <laughs> on a night exercise <coughs> I had the electronic target operator and I'm walking through the woods with the boys and their drills were if they make a contact you drop, bang bang move back and you move back in alternate pairs yeah. yep. and you keep moving back because the whole idea if you're on long range reconnaissance is not to get caught Yeah. so, so they don't know who you are uh, and basically would not get found in the first place. But if you do come into contact, it's not to stand there and fight it out. It's to break contact. Couple of rounds. Out of it. Yeah. Well, they and they had the, they were told how to move back, and I'm stood there. My I was always told like you don't move because I'm on the target, mm. and I knew where the electronic things were. I just press a button, and up it comes, and they had to go boom, boom, and then off you go. And uh, lots and lots of noise going on. And there's people banging, and these are live rounds, mind. People are firing them off. And then all of a sudden, the, um, I can't remember the code word, there was a code word, and then a whistle went out, which meant stop. 
And this voice is going, Tommy? Tommy? And it gets more and more panicky. Tommy! And I'm going, yeah, what do you want? He went, thank fuck for that. <laughs> what had happened was the first two that had moved had moved diagonally away, but they should, they'd went completely 45 degrees off where they should have been. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and, and they were actually firing at me. Oh, nice. Or over me. Well, it shows they're not very good on target then. They missed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, was a, I was a bit thinner then. It reminds but, me of um, um, a similar range. There. That, was, that was a moment to laugh about, but it wasn't, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Afterwards, you just, you know, we had a oh, beer yeah. and everything. Standard. And it's... It, it brings home the point of when you're training and you're training for real like these boys do. I don't, I don't know how much training you did with live ammo and what have you actually in the field moving, but it becomes very critical. You can't afford to make mistakes. Oh, no, no, definitely. And, um, um, you actually reminded me. But of, I'm uh, only a Gwyn, which you haven't used that expression. I haven't. Yet. Ah, well, <laughs> you were airborne, weren't you? Um, yeah, all right, all right. But yeah, that, that sort of story reminds me of when we went through... Uh, live firing before we deployed to uh, Kandahar and we were told um, you're on a three, 360 degree battle space which means the targets can come from anywhere Yeah. in theory they're not going to come from anywhere they're just going to come from in front of you when you engage and, and roll them up so a uh, good friend of mine who you've met uh, Dan Shipper was the lead no he was the rear rear gunner so he was checking behind us Next thing you know, one of the blokes that's running the range has put the wrong target up. So this target comes up from behind him. Dan engages, the target goes down, and all we hear is a big flap from all the all the top brass. Ah, stop, 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 stop. Then we go over, and one of our lads, who has been a casualty, is lying on the floor right next to the target that Dan was engaging. They're like, why are you firing from behind? And he's like, well, you said it was a 360 degree battle space. Of course I'm going to shoot behind me if a target pops up. <laughs> he almost shot one of his mates. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Interesting life. It is. And um, you've done, done a lot of good stuff, but what I really want to quickly touch before you obviously have to disperse and bask in your retirement <laughs> um obviously you took your coaching from from the air force and you carried that on and me and darren benefited a lot from that mainly mainly darren we'll say um with with, with football and oh football yeah so, so within hereford itself you you managed and were part of some very successful coaching teams and and uh, especially Darren growing up with Westfields that, that was that but myself personally watching that because obviously I used to go and watch Darren play and that was a very mm -hmm. successful team especially the what was it under 14s to under 16s yeah that, that was a very very good very good team and it was was it you and you and Dave Hobson wasn't it yeah because Dave Hobson was a manager because managing was never your thing was it no. <laughs> what? No. What do you mean? Well, you're obviously you're a coach, and co and that's what a lot of people don't understand. There's a difference between being a good coach and a good manager. Yeah. 
and obviously coaching was your thing. Yes. <laughs> so, but I did manage as well. Yeah, I didn't say you didn't. But I didn't like the managing too much. Well, no, because you had to deal with other people, didn't you? Within the FA and things like that. Hereford well, FA. I wasn't good at that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, so what I'm trying to get at is like me and Darren have, we've always been pretty decent at sports, which has obviously come from you. And I remember just doing just little things that obviously has shaped us. Should we say so? From from your coaching sort of background, Jim is, is Kate's cooking by the looks of it. Oh, cheers, mate! <laughs> Lockdown. Yeah. Right. <laughs> cheers. No, that's that's a bit harsh, isn't it? <laughs> Anything, that's that's nasty. No, what I'm trying to say was that obviously we would play out in the garden. We'd do all this little things and and little things and one that I'm going to bring up is obviously for me was basketball and the fact that right. when you took the Tupsy Chargers team and you were doing your training on a Thursday night or whatever it was, yeah. you, you would always put the benches down the middle of the upstairs gymnasium at, at Bishops. You'd put the benches down the middle. You would take the main men's team up there and you would say, right, Sean, go and play on your own basically for a bit in that half and just got me used to dribbling a basketball and shooting at a basketball mm. is far too. And it was just, it was just nice. You surprised, you surprised us all that you, when all of a sudden we realised that you were good. <laughs> I had to be good at no. something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't mean it like that. We talked, you did it by the fact that what you just said, the fact that you were there, you watched, you copied and you tried things. Yeah. Um, it was like monkey sees, monkey does in that sense. And I'm not referring to you as a monkey, but it's, <laughs> no, but it is. I mean, that's yeah, the expression no, I get is. you. Um, my, it's like I did a little bit of coaching for athletics up at Bishop's Bishop. School. Yeah. And it's like, I've always said this that once you, once you become an, a, an instructor and you can teach or, yeah. or coach, you know the basic principles of how to put things across and all and what have you, then you have to you have to be good enough to, to do certain drills, but you haven't got to be the best footballer in the world to be no, the, no. a good coach. But you um, utilize the knowledge that you've got and teaching one sport is no different to teaching anything. You you know the subject. Yeah, uh, and if you like the subject, you can then put it forward. And I think, uh, as a testament to the training I had as a PTI, all right, a lot of it is um, your natural ability. I've always said there's natural ability and natural fitness. Uh, some people are just fitter than others. That's why they become yeah marathon runners, and, and other people are, are, are built to be sprinters. And and it just that's just how you are. But to coach. It's been able to observe and then impart information to improve that person. See the person's fault. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm coaching myself at the moment at golf, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, Darren has told me. You've got your little gadgets, gizmos. Yeah. That's good, though. Working. 
to be it's fair, working. even Kate said the other day she saw you um on FaceTime, I think, when we were talking, and uh, she was like, "Your dad's lost weight." And I wonder, oh yeah, he's playing golf every day. Well, yeah, it's a, a bit of that. Um... You've you've passed on your weight to me, apparently. <laughs> I've given it to you. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, going back to football in Hereford, I mean, it, it was quite an eye opener because, I mean, to a degree, I found when I first got there, I'm just being honest now, that Hereford was a bit of a backwater mm. from a footballing point of view. Um, I think it still is. But they have had some good players, and uh, I've been around a few good players, and, I, and I've, in, I've enjoyed most of it. I mean, I used to enjoy it. When, when I was running the uh, the reserves at Peggy, and the guys were old enough to, and we used to meet up. Well, yeah. we'd go straight from the ground. I used to meet your mum and say half past seven in the evening, and then I would go my separate way with her. And the boys would uh, go off and do their thing. Yeah, we would be in town, and we'd go in. I can remember being in one bar, that long bar, by the chip shop on top of Commercial Road. Yeah. Thank you. Long bar, actually. Oh, not the hot pole. Uh, the Litton Tree. No, it's only a th- right at the top. The Kerry? Just past the church. The Kerry? No, no, you're doing... We're on Commercial Road. Yeah. You've got the chip shop. Yeah. It's been there for years. And next to there's golden a long... Thin, yeah, the golden, next to the Golden Gallon, there's a long bar. Not the Litton Tree and not the hot pole. The one next no, to No, this side of it. The traffic oh, light side. I don't know. There's a long bar. Goes the whole... And it's only... Well, anyway, we're in there. And... Scott, uh, I think it was... Yeah, Scotty. Yeah, a couple of others. And we're all... Um, we're having a beer in my And this bloke starts giving me a bit of shit. Yeah. And uh, this is why I was in the prison service. Then. And uh, we were leaving. About to leave anyway. And uh, I just, and someone said, do you know him? I said, oh, he's, he's, a, he's a con, an ex-con. I said, he's a bit of an alcoholic. He's not really a problem and all the rest of it. So and I had a word with him and just said, look, leave it out, mate. I'm out with some friends. I said, they might not take it in the same way as, uh, you know, and we don't want any trouble, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, off we go. Boys went their way, and me and your mum went to the wine bar on Widemarsh Street, Saxties. Saxties, yeah. Yeah, we went in there, and of course, I'm going in there now, and I'm now going to meet up with some regiment guys, or ex-regiment guys, you know, but they're in there. Yeah. And this guy has followed me and your mum. They're not unknown to me. Um, and we've got in there, and he starts giving me some jip in the bar. <laughs> One wrong of the bar, lads... Come, wrong bar to do that in. <laughs> comes walking across to me, and he went, he said, Tomo, he said, is that guy giving you a problem? I said, yeah. I said, can you put him outside or something? I said, there's no need, you know, he's just, he's harmless, but he is, he's getting on my nerves now. And uh, the next thing I, t- I turned, and there's two of the guys come from the bar, and they've got <laughs> this bloke under an armpit each side, He's facing that way towards me, and he's sort of looking like what? And the, and the boys are walking him out, and the doorman just opened the doors for them, and they <laughs> dropped him outside. <laughs> and awesome. uh, 
Oh, it was, and, and the other, this was a prison service one rather than, the other funny one was, um, again, a drunk, he sat in, in the barrels in the, in the garden before they changed it all. Yeah. So if you come out the, the main door at the back and just to your right, which is where Matt uh, Priest usually stands now when it's open, but that yeah. never used to be there. It used to be a different, there was a chair. And there's a bloke sat in the chair and he's, he'd been drinking. And he's, he, I walk out and he's giving me shit, isn't he? I mean, he's effing and blinding at me. He's calling me all sorts of everything. And, and then it goes quiet. And I turn back and your brother's got him by the throat. He's like, <laughs> and he's starting to pull him out of the chair. He's a sneaky one, that brother of mine. And I went, come on, Darren. I said, just leave it. It's, he's, he's, no, he's no bother. You, you can push him over. He was, he was that pissed. Don't think more of it. And Darren was going, you have to put up with that all the time, Dan. I said, no. I said, now and again. I said, and that, I mean, I've told you two stories there very quickly. Yeah. But that was over 10 years. So it's not like every day. Or anything yeah. Like and uh, anyway, this going back to that one, on the Monday morning, I go in, I go on Sea uh, Wing, and I go up to, to the punishment landing, which was mine. I don't know why they gave me the punishment landing, but I had it. And, and I opened the door to cell one, and this voice goes, all right, Gov, I'm really sorry about the other day. And there he is. Just sat there. <laughs> just sat there. He's just sat there. And thinking, oh, my God. And he, he just happened to pick my landing myself. But there, yeah. yeah. I think there might... I mean, loads of talk to things about the prison service you can, you can talk about. Um, how's the time? Oh, we're right for a little while, aren't you? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, that's a that's a different environment. Environment, isn't it? The prisoners. We had a guy. I won't tell you his name because it would be embarrassing for him. And well, no, it wouldn't be embarrassing. I wouldn't care about him being embarrassed. Yeah. It would embarrass his family. Mm. He came in and he was ex-army. Came into Gloucester, and I'm on A wing this time. And uh, one of the cons said to me, "He went." He went Go. And I turned, I said, what's it? He said, uh, he said, that Mr. So-and-so, he said, uh, he's a bit strange, isn't he? I said, what do you mean he's a bit strange? He said, well, he's, he practices Kung Fu kicking when he's on at lunchtime. So when you're on the landing, you've got to patrol the landing. Everything's shut. Everyone else has gone, you know. And then you go back in the office. But you should do two or three patrols in the hour around all, just to make sure. And apparently he's up there giving it the old well and all this kung fu kicking and work. <laughs> and uh, I asked him about it, and then he, he uh, I said, "So uh, I said, why are you telling everybody your uh, ex special forces?" And he was like, "He said, well, I said, well, you're not here." I said, "Well, you actually at the camp." I said, because I was at the camp not, not that long ago. I said, and I don't remember you. And uh, he said, well, you weren't special forces. I said, I know that one. I said, I was in the Air Force and I worked in the paracenter. I said, I always tell everybody that. that whether they choose to believe me is another thing. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> turned out he was an armourer and a, uh, not a particularly good one. Yeah. He, uh, he left to try and join the police force. And the police force caught him out. And wherever he went, he was one of those that just told, oh, fab bit, fabricated things about what he'd heard, yeah, rather than a bit of a wall me. Yeah, 
I mean, I had a guy turn around to me one day in, when I was in Gloucester Prison, and he he was bang on about parachuting, and I said, and I happened to tell just what I said. I said I've done a little bit of parachuting, and he went, oh really? And he, this bloke was saying how he he'd done all sorts of things in southern Germany, and I went, interesting. Where? <laughs> Whereabouts? <laughs> and he went, oh, and he and he said the the place, and uh, it's no, it's not there anymore now, so it doesn't matter. But yeah, it was just a NATO training school that I happened to be at for yeah. a while in period. and um it turned out this guy was he was in the pioneer corps he was a bloody driver he used to drive the uh, the troops down to act as our enemy so if we had the paras out there for example they'd yeah. be given a job and come down to be enemy i mean i'm sure you did it yeah, as, yeah. Or, you, or you had people come and do it to you but he was telling everybody how he ran the place but what what his question to me he said well, he said well how many jumps have you done i said oh, I said somewhere over two two thousand, and he went, "Is that all?" <laughs> Just a couple. And when you think about it, there are people nowadays. I mean, I think there's a couple of lads that I knew back when I was still in, yeah. who were on five or six thousand. And if they're still jumping, they could be way up. Yeah, yeah, of course. But fifteen years ago, more more than that. 90s, well, Christ, it's nearly 30 years, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 30 years ago, I bet there wouldn't have been more than 50 people in the country with over 3,000 descendants. Yeah, not likely. I don't think so. I mean, I might be wrong. I mean, there's, there's, there'd be a few guys <clears throat> that stayed in, but you do less and less as you get older anyway. <clears throat> yeah, joints can't take it. Can I they? mean, you've got, you've got people... Dave Wood, who uh, had his own, took his own, opened his own parachute place out in Cornwall. I dare say he's got quite a few because he did it for quite a number of years. You know, this. Um, this I won't go through all the names, but there's quite a few guys that that, would, that carried on jumping yeah. quite late. I mean, I'd do another one. You haven't asked me that question. Would I do another jump? I'd do one for the road. Yeah, of course you would. Yeah, yeah. I oh, know you would. But, Get you signed off. But you do have a football match coming up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'll last that. <clears throat> Ankles. Um, Give it a go, though. Well, it'll be part of, your, uh, part of your dream that you'll finally be able Same to play with play with me and Darren in the same team. Yeah. Well, played, played alongside Darren, I know that. Played in the same basketball team. Yes. Tepsi Chargers. You remember that? You remember yeah, Tepsi Chargers uh, against Tembury in the in the Tembury Court. That horrible sports hall that they yeah. had, a tiny one. I came Do off the you bench. you remember the game against... You wouldn't have been playing, I don't think. Against the fire service? Yeah. When yeah. I went, I took, I I was took Darren off and went on. <laughs> yeah, I was watching. I gave that bloke a bit of his own medicine, didn't I? Yeah. That's the thing with it. We, well, I find anyway in, in, in basketball terms. Well, I hope you've. Uh... You what? Hey. I was just saying, um, you find it in basketball terms, like obviously the fire service did it to the Tupsy Chargers team when you had a group of young lads from the school playing. And then when I was playing for the Hereford Hawks against uh, Gloucester Police, Please. they, they were the there, same. Yeah, they were the same. Uh, they tried to bully us, and and I had my mouth split open 
Um, I know, I know, I was there. But it's, it's just the thing, isn't it? it, it... You beat what, him I'm... the next time. Oh, yeah. I, well, I beat him quite a few times. But, yeah. So you run out of things to say to me, have you? Hey? Oh, I have. the longest conversation for me. This though. is our longest conversation on the phone ever. <laughs> I think it's the longest conversation ever about anything. <laughs> about anything. Yeah. <laughs> That's been is good, that Is that me behind you? Where? Up here? Yeah. Now that's me from, that's my caricature in Malta. <laughs> yeah, I know. I do have you though, hold on. I'll be right back. I've got a couple. So you are officially in the shed. Oh, right. So we've got. Oh yes. <laughs> and then we've got one with you and oh, Grandad. Oh, the old man. Yeah, good. Three you generations did. of Thompson. Your parcel arrived. Yeah, you sent it to the wrong address. What, Six, where did I send it to? Sixty-seven Cork Street. <laughs> no, the pen didn't work. Bit of the big pen. Yeah, so that got sent work. to a, night, a lovely lady with dementia. And she <laughs> couldn't remember having it. <laughs> but you've got them. Yeah, yeah, I've got them. Wearing them now. Oh, that's them, is it? Yeah. yeah. right, so they're good. Yeah, very good. Very good, yeah. What's that microphone thing you got? So this... Well, the microphone Darren got from Mum, I think. It's just a bog-standard no. microphone. And then... Uh, the arm that I've got that I can move about makes me look so you profe professional. You haven't, looked at, you haven't looked at Amazon the last couple of days? No, no. That's all right, then. <laughs> Why? Well, your birthday present's on its way. <laughs> Be there tomorrow, I think. Oh, I love it. I won't open it until... Yeah, you can open it. ...next Sunday. Yeah, yeah you can open it. Because it's to do with what you're doing. Oh. Well, thank you very much, Dad. Yeah. I know I said I wasn't getting you birthday presents, but... You can't help yourself, can you? Oh, well. <laughs> I have to get it. Uh... No, he had a decent camera for Christmas, so... There you go, then. Bosh. Uh, there you go. Um, so, you run out of things to say. I never <laughs> run out of things to say, but... Well, Scotty was talking about his night in the orange tree, wasn't he? He reminded me of that on Darren's podcast. Yes. He was. Well, he had his, had his drink saluted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some good nights, uh, though, to be fair. On, I'd, on I'd forgotten all about that, but... Oh, no, yeah. there's some really good ones. But, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, and the one with Pete Williamson. C couldn't make oh, his way up the stairs because he yeah. tried to out-drink you. Try, yeah. And then we could even fast-forward to... Uh, uh, my leaving party before we went to Kandahar. Oh yeah, and we had yeah. the the black tie event, and you had your dicky bow on and and whatnot. And uh, we were up drinking whiskey until like five in the morning. <laughs> and oh, some yeah, of the lads were, couldn't yeah. couldn't keep up, could they? Couldn't keep up. No. One of the blokes, one of the blokes, wouldn't leave you alone. <laughs> yeah, talking about oh, parachuting you with you, Scally. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Um, I think the other thing that came up on on Darren's was uh, was Biffo. Yeah. Admitting that he knew all along that he got me sent off. <laughs> we were playing at the the leisure centre, and he shouted at the referee. Yeah. Said something, swore at him, did something, and the referee came over and sent me off. And for I years, was I bet you was. I was absolutely fuming, but <clears throat> not with Biffo. With the referee, with the, referee. the referee actually admitted to me afterwards that he knew that it wasn't me. I said, "Well, rescind the red card." He said he wouldn't until he until he found out who it was. I wouldn't tell him. <laughs> it was, it was Biffo. Yeah, um, he did eventually own up to it because this got to the point where I was going to pack it all in. I was going. I was... <laughs> yeah, done. Yeah, but there you go. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> it's a. It's a you really... had, I mean. I can remember your football there when you were playing for Marriotts and uh, I, I left the game to go and watch Darren play in a final. <laughs> and you got and a you, phone call. I got a phone call that said you've been sent off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a bit of con- context on that. So I was having a I was having a good game. We were playing Ross. Yeah, I know. I, I watched playing, the first part, didn't I? And I was playing fullback and I made a tackle. So I ran from the halfway line sprinted to the left back position and made a tackle. They managed to get the ball back, put the cross in, and they scored a header. And I got the blame for it for not being in position. Um, and then my head went basically. I was having, I was not happy. <laughs> I remember. And I had a bit of a temper on me. I take out to my mother on that one. Well, yeah. But was not a nice tackle. I think, in fact, we both. I had, had to go at somebody. The centre half at half time. It's the only time I and I stepped in because Matt was talking about this one on that same game. Justin was playing centre half, I think. I can't remember. And I did said to him, I said, "Well, the same, I said you're blaming him for the goal." I said, "But if you'd have done your job in the first place, he wouldn't have been there." And Matt looked at me and he went, "Fair play." <laughs> Matt <doesn't laughs> As Matt does, yeah. fair play. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, I I enjoyed playing in that team. That that team sort of made me a little bit because it was the first team that I sort of went out on my own. Yeah, I think you you sort of uh, got me into him um, with Matty Priest and and whatnot. But I was always following Darren basically, whether it was Tupsy Pegasus, Westfields, Peggy. Well, I, I never understood. I could never understand why, and I, I probably never will find out. But Mick Williams. Didn't rate you at all, did he? No, nah, he, he didn't like me. And I, uh, I don't know what it was. It was anyway. That's for another day. That is, I, yeah. I never, I never really rated him as a as a as a manager <laughs> or a coach. Anyway, <laughs> as a window cleaner, <laughs> or as a window cleaner. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm going to have to push on. That's fine, Dad. I've 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 loved it every second. Is that alright? It has. It's been brilliant. Okay. And I'll uh I'll catch you again soon. Alright then. Speak to all you right. soon. In a bit. Cheers.